Well, good morning, everybody. Come on, it's a good day to be in church. Amen. Hey, before we go any further, it is our senior pastor's 50th birthday. So we're going to take a moment. Happy birthday. Listen, we're so thankful for your sacrifice, for the way you lead, the way you serve, the way you pursue God, um, your marriage. Uh, happy birthday. Um, we got some special stuff happening after service today, and, and so it's going to be a good time. But welcome to, to Your Place Church. It's an honor uh, to be with you this morning. And uh, it's been a minute, I feel like, since we got to, to hang out together. So uh, I know we've had lots of, lots of new people show up. And, and, and so I just wanted to reintroduce myself. I, my name is Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, and I've actually got uh, a beautiful family. Family. I'm married. My wife, is, Bailey, raise your hand. There she is. Look at her. Beautiful. She's beautiful. Um, you know, Pastor Darian talks about how they're high school sweethearts. That would have been my story too, but she said no. In middle school, high school, college, like three times, three times in college. And then she said yes, and I'll put a ring on it quickly, guys. Come on, I'm telling you. And, uh, and now we got, we got two boys, Hezekiah and uh, Zion. Can, Anna, can you throw that picture up of the, of the family? Here's the family. Um, there they are right there. He, there's Hezekiah, the oldest right there. Zion, a little Zai-Zai. Um, and then we found out, not last week, but, but two weeks ago, that, that she's pregnant. So here we go again. Come on. Here's what's crazy, guys. Is uh, we're, we're going from a family of four to a family of six. Andy, go ahead, show them that second picture. We got a longhorn. We got a longhorn, guys. I got a pet longhorn. Come on, y'all thought we were having twins, didn't you? No, we added a longhorn to the family. Listen, if we have twins, it'll be a surprise to all of us, okay? We got a pet longhorn this week. We're super excited about it. The, the uh, follow-up question typically is why and where are you putting it? And uh, we've been praying for some lands uh, and, and we're believing God for some land. Right now we have one acre. And so I stopped at PetSmart and got one of those corkscrew leash holders. He's tied up out back right now. No, it's, it's, it's fun. I wanted, I wanted to share some stats with you guys before uh, we hop into it today. So I got some stats. Every 42 seconds, there's one divorce in America. Isn't that crazy? Um, that equates to 86 divorces per year, 2,046 divorces per day, 14,364 divorces per week, uh, 746,971 divorces Every single year, 60% of couples between the ages of 20 and 25 uh, that have been married will end up divorced. Now, if you wait till after 25 teenagers, um, that drops the percentage by 24%. Um, 60% of people cohabiting, and so you're, you're not married, but you're in a relationship and you live together. 60% uh, of people like that will end up married. However, if you live together before you're married, it actually increases the divorce rate by 40%. Um, each liter of alcohol that you drink actually increases your divorce uh, rate by 20%. And the average person who drinks in America drinks 9.4 liters a year, which increases the chances of divorce by 188%. If your parents got divorced and then remarried, the chances of you being divorced is 91%. 43% of kids in the U.S. are being raised without their father. 
And if a close friend to you gets divorced, you're 147% more likely to get divorced as well. And if it's a friend of a friend, it increases your, your, the chances of you getting divorced by 33%. I know they're pretty heavy statistics, so I brought one to help kind of lighten it up a little bit. Um, according to the University of Rochester, researchers have done some studies that show if you watch a romantic movie and then talk about it, your chances of divorce go from 24% to 11%. So ladies, we're sorry, you were right. The, the rom-coms do work. <laughs> the, it, it does help, apparently. And fellas, I still haven't found any research on how action thrillers benefit your marriage. Um, I have, however, done some research of my own, and I have come to the conclusion that, fellas, do not take your spouse to see Top Gun if you have the inability to grow a mustache or rock-hard abs, okay? Like, it, it, it cancels out the, the rom-coms, okay? It just, it just doesn't work. And, uh, and so you start looking and you start seeing all these st the statistics on divorce and, and we're like, well, what is the actual root issue of divorce? And so I've got some percentages and, and this actually, all this research came from uh, non-Christian organizations. It was lawyers, divorce attorneys um, for, across the country. And uh, this is what they said. The biggest reason for divorce is a lack of commitment, communication, and incompatibility making up 44.2% of divorces. A lack of commitment, it's the lack of commitment, communication, and incompatibility. And, and when I say lack of commitment, I'm not talking about infidelity. I'm, it's the first two laws of marriage that we talked about the last two weeks. It's no longer, they're no longer a priority. They're no longer being pursued. It's I just no longer want to commit to chasing after you. It's a lack of commitment. And this is actually what leads to the majority of divorces. The second Top reason by 28% is 28% of divorces are caused by infidelity or affairs. 22% um, is caused by money. 5.8% is domestic abuse and addiction. And so this actually comes out to be 71.2% of divorces actually come down to, if you think about it, unmet expectations. So you remove the affairs, you remove the domestic abuse and violence out of the equation and you've got money issues, you've got a lack of commitment, communication and incompatibility, which really kind of boils down to this thought of it's really just unmet expectations. And it's led to some frustrations and Pastor Darian says it frequently, um, everything else gets better in time, but come on somebody, it's time our marriages get better too. Amen, everybody. So can we talk about it? Come on, let's talk about it today. We're gonna to dive into to the third law of marriage. And the third law of marriage is actually the law of partnership. And I'm gonna pray. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful, Lord, to be here in your presence. And God, we're just asking that you would guide us. Father, that you would lead us, reveal some things to us um, about marriage, about what it looks like in scripture. Father, we wanna be better. Help us take one step closer to you today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen and amen. So I live uh, on a county road and, and behind me is, is pasture. I have thought about putting my long corn in that pasture, but there's already a bull. Mine does have bigger horns. You know, there's that thing, but it's, it's not mine. And so I've got pasture behind me, but I've got this neighborhood in front of me. And so we like to take walks on this, this neighborhood. And, and the other day I was walking and, and my house looks 
at Terry's house. I don't know Terry's last name. I just know Terry, okay? I actually don't even know Terry's husband's name. It's just Terry. For some reason, that's the only name that is stuck. We just know Hezekiah calls her Terry. It's Terry's house. And so we're walking. And have you ever seen one of those rugs that's got like the really thick, like long pieces of fabric? It's like very plush. You, you, you lay down in it and it's like it's giving you a hug. That's what Terry's grass looks like. <laughs> And again, I'm, I'm a big, like, I, I like a good yard, okay? I want my grass to be flawless. Terry's grass, flawless. And so we are on this walk the other day, and I'm just, like, mesmerized. I don't think she's got a single weed in her yard. If they pops up, I watch her. Listen, Terry's the kind of girl, she, she mows, no lie, I've counted four times a week. Four times, I'm doing it every four days. She's mowing four times a week and, and her yard shows. It's very green, it's lush. And, and I was looking the other day as I was mowing, I'm just like staring at Terry's yard as I'm mowing. I'm like, dang, that's a good looking yard, you know? <laughs> and and it's, it's just so green. And, and I, you start to think about all the comparisons and they're like, well, they always say the grass is greener on the other side, but you don't know their water bill. But listen, I know my water bill and I spent a ton of money and my grass still didn't look that green. And, and, and so I'm looking at this yard and I, I'm starting to think about like, man, how great is her yard? And, and then I realized as I watch her, you know, she comes out in the mornings. She gets started at like 630 probably. And she's just out in the yard pulling every single weed, spraying it. She's got the squirt bottle sprayer because that's how isolated her weeds are. Listen, I'm like having crop dusters come past my house. Like I want, I want a full Bermuda yard. I'm at like 78%. It's better than I used to be. And, and, and she's over there with like a little squirt bottle, like shooting the one weed that's in her yard. And, and she takes so much care of it. And she's fertilizing it. She's watering it. She's spraying it. And I realized I want her yard, but I'm not doing what it takes to get it. And I actually had this realization that even if we switch places, and she came to my house and I moved into her house that my house that I'm currently at would begin to look like her house. But her house, when I move into it, would begin to look like my house. Why? Because there's this art of stewardship that comes through time. And a lot of us. We see the greener grass. We see great marriages. And, and listen, Pastor Darian, Ms. Tyra, that's, that's mommy and poppy to me, okay? That's, that's my parents. I've grown up behind closed doors. And I've seen inside that. And who they are here is actually who they are. Like this is actually who their marriage is. And so we see the greener grass marriages and we want that. And we're like, well, if only my spouse was different. But if we switch the spouses around, I'm convinced we would end up with the same results. Why? Because there's a process that it takes in order to get the greener grass. Are you with me today? Matthew chapter 25 says this. This is a parable of the talents. It says, I'm let me sum it up, give you the backstory. There was a master, he came and he gave five, five talents. Now this isn't gifts, this is, um, this translation I think that we have on screen says bags of gold. Talent was currency. And so he gives this currency, five currencies to, to one person he gives two to another, and then he gives one to a third person. And he tells them, listen, I'm giving you these talents, steward them. I'm going to come back for them one day. Well, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 19, we actually pick up, and the master just comes back. And it says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. He said, master, 
You entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. Look at the master's response. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. And so now I can put you in charge of many things. And then he says this, he says, come and share your master's happiness. In fact, he says this to the guy with five talents who now has 10. And he said it to the guy with two talents who now has four. Why? Because they took what they had, they stewarded it, and then they, they, they reproduced it. Are you following me? And, and in response, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. But then there's the guy who had one. And he says, he says, Master, I know you work hard for your money. And so I was fearful. I didn't want to lose the one talent. So I buried it. I hid it. Here it is. I didn't lose it. It's yours. And, and the master responds, you wicked and lazy man. Isn't it interesting? He thought he was doing good, but he actually wasn't doing anything with it at all. And so this actually gives us a, pure, a clear picture of how Jesus defines faithfulness. Faithfulness isn't just going at a, at a steady, it's not just, uh, it's not, um, how would I say it? It's not in one place. It's not neutral. It's not stagnant. That's a good word. Thank you, Tyler. That's a great word for it. It's not stagnant. Faithfulness is actually producing. Though that's the way Jesus sees it. And so for us in marriage, if we want to be good stewards of what God's given us, if we want the green grass marriage, if we want our marriage to be fruitful, then it actually requires some effort on our part to not just stay in, in neutral, not just to stay stagnant, not just to stay in one place, but we actually got to put some work into it to get the results that we want to see. Are you following me today? It, it requires some effort. And I actually believe that there's three areas that I want to talk to you. I'm sure there's more, but there's three areas that I want to talk to you, to you about today that actually attack this, this concept of partnership. Because again, we're, we're stewarding this partnership that we have. And I believe there's three areas that attack partnership. And the, and the first one is this, it's independence. It's independence. We, we want to be independent in life, and in fact, I feel like um, our country prides itself on independence. Everybody wants to be independent, but independence in marriage is actually brutal. It's this whole concept of buying into a franchise that's independently owned and operated. I'll, I'll carry your colors, I'll take your name, but I'm still going to do business like I want to do business. And we've come into marriage in the same concept. Listen, I'll wear that ring, I'll carry your name, but as far as my life goes... I'm still going to live the way I want to live. Are you following me this morning? But let's, let's, let's have a conversation together. And, and it's, it requires us to actually lay down the way we do our life. Uh, on our honeymoon, Bailey and I, we went to Jackson, Wyoming. Anybody been to Jackson, Wyoming? Anybody at all? No one? Okay, okay a couple people, a few people. What are y'all doing after this? You want to go back? Because I'm down. <laughs> Okay, I've got one more message, a birthday party, and then I think I'm free. Okay, let's go back. And uh, we, went to, we went to Jackson, Wyoming. And I mean, Wyoming is beautiful. There's people who are like, there's the beach people. There's the mountain people. We're mountain people. We like the mountains. And, uh, and if you look into the science of mountains and, and how they say mountains were created, is there's these two tectonic plates, right? We, can we go back to science class for a second? There's these two tectonic plates and they're right here at ground level and they're moving together um, at each other with force. And what happens is, is they come together and it's this convergent boundary is what they call it. A converging boundary and it comes together. The word convergent actually means coming together. 
And so you've got two tectonic plates that come together and they collide into making what we see as these mountains. Now, I don't know if that happened. I, to me, I'm like, did it happen? God probably just spoke it into existence and it happened, but maybe it was colliding of something. Um, but what it is, is they call it a conversion boundary. And what I realized, it, first year of marriage was in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. You know, the Bible says, for this reason, you know, a man will leave his father and mother and he'll be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And at the altar, come on, if you've been married at the altar spiritually, you're married. You become one flesh. In the eyes of God, you are one. Now mentally, emotionally, it's two tectonic plates full speed at each other. Come on, to collide into making one thing. The way I described it is when people ask, like, we were six months into marriage, and they're like, what's marriage like? And, and that, was my, that was my answer. It was, it was these two combining of plates that come together, and what happens is there's these sharp edges that collide, and when the sharp edges collide, it begins to push up, and it begins to break pieces off of each plate. And so instantly at the altar before God, you become one flesh. But then there's a process of actually becoming one. And sometimes it's a little bit painful because we're chipping away pieces of us. And what happens is when we're flat at the plate stance, when we're, when we're just single and, and even engaged really, there's, there's not a whole lot of hitting each other. But the moment you move in, you begin to collide and there just begins to be these, these things. And, it, and it's not bad. There's, some, there's a lot of areas of my life that needed to be chipped away. And, and you're flat right here, and you begin to come together. And what happens when there's two flat plates that come together is it actually elevates you into one. It brings, listen, it's an elevating. It's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's elevating you up. But here's, here's the problem is marriage is actually brutal on independent people. It's, it's brutal on these independent people. In fact, pastor says it pretty frequently. He says the two worst things in the world is, or the worst thing in the world is two selfish people in love. They're in love. They love each other. But it's the two tectonic plates colliding and no one's wanting to let anything break off of them. And so we're coming together and we see the pieces start to crumble and we look at the pieces that are coming off and we begin to desire the small pieces that are crumbling instead of the one thing we're becoming. Are you, are you following me? That rhymed. I didn't mean it to rhyme, but it rhymed. It just happened like that. <laughs> Luke 14 verse 33 says this, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. This is Jesus talking. He says, if you, if you don't give up everything you have, you can't actually be one of my disciples. Now, what Jesus is trying to say, he's not telling you you have to give up everything. You don't, you don't have to go give everything away. He is saying you have to give up everything. He's not saying you have to give it away. What he's saying is, if you're going to follow after me, I need input in your life. If you're going to be one of my disciples, then there's nothing that can actually be off limits. But what we have a tendency to do with Jesus is the same thing we have a tendency to do in our marriage. And it's we have one area of our life where it's like, listen, Jesus, I want to follow you, but you can't speak into this right here. And we carry this into our marriage. Listen, I want to have a great marriage, but don't speak 
on this right here. And what we're saying in that moment is this right here is a greater priority than this right here. You know, when I was 16, I had this, this truck. Her name was Jolene. I got a picture of her. Anna, can you go ahead? Throw, throw Jolene up on the screen. <laughs> Jolene, Jolene. You, know, you better believe I say it to her every time I got in the truck. That's Jolene right there. I love Jolene. She was a good truck to me, and I was proud of her. And I remember I was 16 years old. I believe it was 16 or 17. I was at my cousin's wedding, and my uncle was, was doing the service. And I remember there was a portion of the service where he starts talking about um, what's mine is now yours and what's yours is now mine. And I just remember sitting in that service thinking, yeah, but not Jolene, right? <laughs> and I, remember, I walked out of that service, and I'm like, I'm going to write in my vows. What's yours is mine and mine is yours, except for my truck. Like, I, I was so sad. You cannot have Jolene. And, and last week I was getting ready to go to work and, and uh, I'm a Ram guy. So I got, I got another Ram. I, I bought a new Ram uh, about a month ago and, and, and I like it. It's a good looking truck and I'm getting ready to go to work. And Bailey's like, hey, I really need you to borrow your truck today. And all the, the emotions of 16-year-old, me and Jolene came back, and I was just like, okay, okay, don't hurt him. You know, I, it, was, it, was this, it was this emotion. Why? Because there's some things in our marriage that we haven't let up yet. Why? Because we've got this independence going, and independence is actually dangerous. Independence is dangerous when it comes to marriage. Look at Genesis chapter 1 for, with me. Genesis chapter 1. How are we doing on time? We're going to skip a couple of verses. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, this is Adam and Eve, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Look at that, verse, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Verse 29 said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the, on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be Yours. You see that? There's, it's, it's a plural. When, when God's looking at Adam and Eve, it says God blessed them. It wasn't an independent. Listen, the blessing is actually in the partnership. With your marriage, the blessing is actually in the partnership. It is, it is split. It's, it's this equal level. We're not, one's not higher than the other. We're equal. It's this independent. I'm willing to give up what I need to give up in order to make this work. And if we can get to this point right here, listen, what causes some, some tension in marriages? Independence. Independence. It'll pull you apart. Why? Because we're defending something. And, and, and Craig Rochelle says this. I don't know if you guys know Craig Rochelle or not. He says you can either um, win the battle or you can win the marriage, but you can't win both. Come on, we've heard it. You can win the battle or you can win the marriage, but you can't win both. It's the tectonic plates coming together. And, and if you could look past the pieces of you that are falling and recognize that as you come together to form one thing, it's actually elevating you and it's beautiful. Yeah. What in your marriage have you been independent in? Well, what area is it? What area so far has been off limits? What area have you not let them have a say and, and you've, been, you've been stubborn in? Do we want to win the battle or do we want to win the marriage? The second area that has a tendency to attack um, partnership is in the area of dominance. 
It's dominance. In fact, here's the definition of dominance. Um, Dominance is this disproportional control of the marriage and those elements common to the relationship. In other words, one spouse has more control than the other. One spouse has more control than the other. I was at dinner with a friend of mine um, a few weeks ago, and, and I was sitting at dinner, and he looks across the table at me, and it's it's me and my wife and him and his wife. So it's not just like man on man. And he says, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to stop letting that woman decide what you do in life. And you just need to do some things in life. He's like, don't, don't ask her about it. You just need to make decisions and she'll be okay with it. And, uh, and, and I don't know if you know me or not, but the way I shop, it takes me five hours to pick out the same pair of shoes I walked in with. I'm just getting a newer version. Okay, like I've got the same pair of shoes. They just look older. Okay, and so I'm sitting there five hours looking at these. Oh, these are a nice pair of shoes. I end up with the same pair. I, I need her. I need, I need her to weigh in on some decisions. I can't just make decisions. I'm bringing her in. It's an equal level. In fact, Ephesians chapter five says this. Let me flip over to it. Ephesians five verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives, submit to your husbands in everything. And we see this, and before, maybe before you get too excited and, and think that this is God reaffirming your dictatorship in the household, you go to verse 25 and it says, husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her body cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way. Did you catch that? In the same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. What does it actually look like to be the head, fellas? What's it look like to be the head? It means to go first and sacrifice. Just as Jesus loved the church. Well, Jesus didn't just lay down his death for the church. He laid down his life for the church. So when he was walking the earth, his intention was to build the church. That was his motive. That was his desire. That was his heart. He said the son of man didn't come to be served, but to Serve. What does it look like to actually be the head? It means I'm going to lead in sacrifice. It means I'm going to lead in forgiveness. I'm going to be the one that says sorry. I'm going to be the one that says whatever you need. Why? Because it's, it's verse 27. Is it still up there? Can we go back to verse 27? It says to present her as a radiant church. Now, again, it's talking about the church. But he says, in the same way as, as Christ is the church, you do for your spouse. And so I'm presenting my, my, my wife as radiant, without stain or wrinkle, without blemish, but holy and blameless. What am I supposed to do as a husband? I'm creating a safe place for her to come into the fullness of who God's created her to be. And I can't do that as dominating. I do that by serving. Come on, I'm, we're laying down our life. It's, it's not this is my way or the highway. It's no, I'm going to go first in serving. And we don't like this. Some of us in the room, we don't, we're not liking this. It doesn't feel good. Do you want a good marriage or not? Do you, are you fighting for your marriage or not? 
Here's the thing. If, if there's someone, if there's one person, one of the spouse in your family, if one person and it's their personality and their mood controls the rest of the house, they're actually exercising a dominant characteristic and it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy. Come on, we've heard it. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, mama's exercising some dominant characteristics and it's unhealthy. We'll say it. It's unhealthy. In fact, it's blurring the line of manipulation. We're equal. God created us to be equal. We serve each other equally. What area of your life have you been dominant in? What area have you been controlling in? And it's creating some unhealth in your marriage. You know what, what dominance is? It's an unwillingness to share. It's, it's this unwillingness. It's, it's, it's a lack of sharing. But with marriage, we are to share. We're to share ideas. We're to share dreams, frustrations, thoughts, opinions, which takes communication. And this is actually my last point. I'm going to end with this. Uh, communication, number three, unmet communication. Because when you go back to the statistics, 71.2% of marriages that are ending, they can't get over the little things. Come on, somebody, they can't get over the little things. How many of y'all know it's the little things that seem to be the biggest tension in our marriages? It's the little things that get in and seem to cause this division. When we first got married, I uh, came out and I may have been exercising dominance. And uh, I said, listen, in my household, I'm, you know, we're going to set the record straight. In my house, <clears throat> this is how we do things in my house. <laughs> We don't use that powdered, or we don't use that liquid dishwashing detergent. We use powdered, okay? My mama uses powdered dishwashing detergent. My grandma uses dishwa powdered dishwashing detergent. In this family, we're going to use some powdered dishwashing detergent. Three weeks later, I was at my mom's house. She reaches underneath the cabinet and pulls out liquid dishwashing detergent. <laughs> the first time I'm like, Walmart pickup probably said they were out of order on the good stuff. Okay, everybody else is buying the powder. She had to buy the liquid. A couple days later, I was at Gmo's house. <laughs> and uh, she pulls out liquid dishwashing detergent. Last night I did some dishes. I pulled out some liquid dishwashing detergent. <laughs> come on, how many of y'all know though, it's the little things, right? It's the little things that come in and create this tension. And what 71.2% of divorces has a tendency is we don't understand how to communicate about the little things. The way we say it here is, is frustration is typically unmet expectation. And unmet expectation most of the time comes down to a lack of communication. A lack of communication. What do we got to do to have healthy marriages? We got to learn how to communicate. We got to learn how to communicate. I got three areas. Real quick, I'm going to give you three ways to communicate. Number one, we got to communicate frequently. Communicate frequently. Communicate frequently. Some of you guys, you haven't had a good conversation with your spouse in a while. Communicate ideas. Communicate what's frustrating you right now. Communicate your dreams. 
your visions, your hopes, what life looks like. You know, the Bible says where there's a lack of vision, the people perish. And so if you're not dreaming together, it's just a matter of time. I feel incompatible. Well, are you dreaming together? Are you dreaming together? Are, are, you, are you communicating? We got to communicate frequently. The second thing is we got to communicate honestly. Communicate honestly. It doesn't do you any good if, if, if when they ask and, and you're like, how, hey, how are you? I'm good. But there's actually something inside of you that you're super frustrated about, you're hurt about. And every time it gets brought up, you don't talk about it. And, and so what's happening on the inside is there's this bitterness that your spouse knows nothing about. The way he said something or she said something or, or they did something and it, and, it, and it hurts you, but you're not willing to communicate. You're not being honest about it. And so instead, they, they have no idea that what's going on. You're just drifting apart because of bitterness because you're not communicating honestly. Yeah. Got to communicate honestly. We got to communicate frequently. We got to commu communicate honestly. And the third thing is this. We got to communicate effectively. Leave that tone outside. Well, tone does not help anybody. It doesn't, it doesn't help anybody. It's not going to help the situation. Leave that tone. Leave the eye rolling. Don't raise that voice. Why? Because we got to communicate effectively. Communicate effectively. Can it be done? Absolutely. Absolutely. Leave that cynicism. What is cynicism? It's sarcasm with a jab. When sarcasm goes from light and airy to, to jabbing, it becomes cynical. And it creates damage. It, it creates wounds. How do we have a great marriage? We communicate frequently, honestly, and effectively. Communicate effectively. Let's, let's lower our voice. Let's actually be willing to hear what they have to say. Okay, you said this, but what did you actually mean by that? Come on, clarify with it. Not, not sarcastically. Hey, what did you actually mean? I want to know. You said I did this and it made you mad, but why, why did that actually make you mad? Are you, are you following me? Galatians chapter 5. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this verse, then we're going to pray. Galatians chapter 5, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's forbearance, it's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. If I, if I can pick what my marriage what I want my marriage to look like, I would say it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's goodness, it's kindness. Come on, are you following me? When we would say, what do you want your marriage to look like? These are the words that we would use to describe our marriage. Yet, these are the fruit of the Spirit. And so the absence of the Spirit will lead to the absence of this. Come on, at the end of the day, there's, there's three, three areas that are attacking our marriage. There's independence, dominance, and communication. But at the end of the day, if you're not willing to go to God and put God in your marriage, it will not work. You're like, that sounds cliche. You did come to a church. So this is what we say. This is what we believe. If you, when you're willing to put God in your marriage, it changes everything. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is actually what we desire in our relationship. Amen, everybody. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that we have your word as a lamp unto our feet. Father, it is a light unto our path. 
God, we're thankful that you've given us this demonstration. You, you sent Jesus to be the example of what it looks like. Father, in our, in our life, in our marriage, God, I pray that you would reveal some things to us. God, help us to see the areas of our life where we're missing it. Father, where, we're, where we've been too independent, where we've been too dominant. God, the areas where we're not communicating well. Father, help us to overcome it, God, because we want to have a great marriage. God, we want to see you restore our marriage and bring healing, bring hope, bring restoration, God, to those who have been dealing with pain. Father, where the, where the damage has already been done, God, we know that there's still hope in Jesus. And so, Father, I pray for fresh hope right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Come on, what's your thankful for Jesus, everybody?